This is EdTech Weekly. I am your host, Ricky Zager. This is episode 73. In tonight's show, four ways K-12 counselors can use EdTech, how large districts can use virtual classrooms, helping students with disabilities be successful in STEM, and can EdTech reach the minds and hearts of students? Joining me, as always, Christy, for two straight weeks now, we are on a roll. How are you doing? Doing well. Two straight weeks. That's awesome. Now, if we can keep the natural disasters away, that'd be great, except California is practically on fire. So luckily, that's a little farther away from me, but still stuff going on. There's just always something, isn't there? No. It's ridiculous. Well, we hope everyone out there, listeners, it's going okay in your neck of the woods. Now, we do have this contest going on where we're going to be giving out some swag, a mug, perhaps sticker as well, one or the other. So all you have to do is give the show a review on iTunes, and I'll tweet out the link again this week. And then just tweet at 4TechTeachers and at Christian Warren, and we will put you on the list for the prizes. Also, Christy, we've been getting a lot more followers on Podbean. Uh, I get alerts almost daily now, which is really cool. And then um, we've also engaged on Reddit. We had a guy named Jeff. I'll give him a little shout out. He actually commented one of the articles, and we had a little back and forth about one of them. So, uh, And he said he's been listening to the show for a long time, and he appreciates all the work we do. So um, it's pretty cool to get that feedback because, again, we just started this podcast, Matt and I, back in the day, just trying to do something for for ourselves and it's cool that other people are able to get something out of this so and we're glad christy is along on the journey with us now yeah thanks for having me it is fun to hear when people listen to the show one of my colleagues did here and i was in a training with her and she mentioned something about the globe of power and i was like oh you listen to the podcast that's awesome (laughs) that is cool that's really interesting i've seen a tweet or two here and there that also references stuff that's been in the show before and it's pretty awesome All right, Christy, well, we begin, as we always do, with the EdTech Rundown. All right, our first story, EdTech Magazine gives four ways that K-12 counselors can better reach and service their students using EdTech. And the ways that they highlight are using online sessions to connect students in an environment that they may feel a more safe sharing in, uh, mobile apps that can help students take responsibility in monitoring their own mental health, Counselors should use blogs or social media to share mental health tips or podcasts, dare I say. And uh, finally, collecting data with surveys to assess students' needs and help to improve services that they may offer in the future. All these tips are fairly basic, but I think if you're a counselor and you aren't using any ed tech or any technology, uh, this article could be a way for you to just give some ideas and ways to start. And definitely check out edtechweekly.com for the link there. Uh, Christy, I feel like there's some hesitations when it comes to counseling and online info. Do you share any of those concerns? Well, yes, Ricky, I do. I give this article 50%. So I would (laughs) see how two of the four tips can be useful, but some serious red flags and concerns about using technology to monitor mental health services that really does make me nervous. And really, isn't it about the connection with another human being, Um, especially if you are struggling with mental health? So I would say tech for counselors to stay connected and relevant, as well as tech tools to streamline data data collection can be beneficial, but I'm not sure of online counseling sessions or mobile apps to monitor mental health. Now, maybe for some, you know, populations that might work, but overall just makes me a little nervous. 
Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, as a counselor, you're you're building relationships. So, you know, if you have some students occasionally here or there that just do not do well face to face, and they live in a world where they're good online and they deal with things that way, perhaps you can find some tools that way. But yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, I have to be careful. And I'm sure counselors in general maybe stay away from online, but you know, sure, why not do a podcast? Hey, we did it. We have over ten thousand people downloaded it. So why not try? You know, get some information out there. Sure thing. Yeah. All right, next article, another EdTech Magazine ex- article that explains that large school districts can make the most of virtual classrooms too. They mentioned that providing large-scale virtual classrooms can be difficult for larger districts for many reasons, including network strain. The San Francisco Unified School District is using video conferencing on a smaller scale to help connect students with subject experts that they otherwise would not have access to in their physical classroom. This article is focusing on big school districts, but these principles can apply to small districts as well, and in some cases may even be more valuable to smaller districts. Yeah, I have to admit, Christy, Thoughts, when, I was, Ricky? Yeah, when I was reading this, I was thinking a lot about you, and I know you're in a smaller district, and I'm thinking to myself, as I'm reading this, I, I don't, aren't, are not these things also things that small schools deal with? I mean, they were talking about upgrading their infrastructure. Yeah, that's not necessarily easy for smaller schools either. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this could be just in general some things to think about or ways to sort of tackle, you know, using virtual classrooms in general. I'm not sure exactly why they said bigger districts in this. I don't know if it's just clickbait to try to get bigger district people to be interested. But to me, it's just overall things that kind of get in the way and maybe a couple ideas of how you could deal with them. Yeah, it did actually make me feel good that San Francisco Unified was having some of the same problems we are about connecting kids to professionals and network strain. And I mean, that's San Francisco. So I think, yeah, they are things that we all um, struggle with, big, small, rural, urban, um, all of our schools. Yeah, I mean, I've been dealing with ed tech in one form or another for 10 to 15 years now. And uh, it seems like these problems are common everywhere. All right, let's get to our third story and another EdTech Magazine article. We're really using them this week. Um, The article gives some examples of how EdTech can help students with disabilities thrive in STEM. I think our friend Ashley uh, from careerinstem.com may be very interested in this story as a way to reach uh, those with some disabilities in the in the area of STEM. The ways ed tech can help include allowing is allowing for better differentiated instruction. Uh, capturing attention with learning apps and embracing failure and encouraging risk-taking with ed tech. And finally, using technologies that help struggling readers as getting that information is super important in STEM and having the base knowledge in order to do things in STEM. If you struggle in reading, that's going to be difficult. So all good suggestions. And I think it's a great read for anyone trying to think of ways to help students with disabilities in your classroom, maybe not just STEM, but just in general. And hopefully it'll allow just an easier way to incorporate some of these strategies into your classroom. So definitely check out this article. Yeah, I love that the focus is how tech can help students with disabilities get involved in those STEM fields. There are some great tips in this article, including differentiation, student engagement, and embracing risk-taking, which are simply good teaching strategies that can benefit all students. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the differentiation thing is huge, uh, again, with everyone, but certainly um, looking at it from this angle may help people find easier ways to incorporate it uh, with just their regular student population. So that's pretty good. Yeah, the last article from this week is a blog on edweek.org. 
that engages in the classic debate over technology and education. Does education have to be face-to-face -face in order to truly educate in certain areas of study and really dive into nuance and judgment needed for subjects, or can EdTech tools achieve the same thing as face-to-face? -face? So sidebar here, <laughs> I do take issue with the idea of the goal of EdTech that it has to be the same as face-to-face. -face. It's not, but that doesn't mean that one is bad or one is good. It just means different end rant. <laughs> All right, we continue on. Uh, they had two leaders in education debate this in a recent forum and shared the excerpts. This is a great read for anyone interested in this debate, which we would assume is anyone listening to our show. A big takeaway was how lower economic schools have teachers who receive less professional development. This can be a huge problem as federal or state funding may provide the technology, but not include the professional development. Yeah, I mean, I saw that a lot working in a big school district where it seems like uh, iPads and other things get showered down upon a school, and it's not necessarily the amount of professional develop you would, development you would like to have in that situation. I mean, you know, this is a fun thing to talk about, I think, and I'm assuming people who are into ed tech also feel this way. I mean, I feel like you probably have a strong opinion one way or another, but at the end of the day, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's not you know, we don't have to make everything the same. We just need to, to find ways to use the tools that we have in the most effective way possible. We may find that using ed tech is the best way to tackle certain things. Um, and then you not using it or having face-to-face -face contact is the best way to tackle others. I don't necessarily agree with this idea that it has to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be a war. It doesn't have to be one bad, one good. But I think, I, I just feel this, the teacher's, cling on to this concept because they they want to so much not be replaced like they want to like they want to believe how much they affect the students and they do but they don't want people trying to diminish that by saying ed tech can replace that and i think we we're looking at the wrong battle here rather than just taking each individual tool for what it is and and working the best possible way for each student yeah it's not it's for sure not a one size fits all model it depends on the learner it depends on the content the situation and some things for some people, yeah, face-to-face -face works great, but there are some who, you know, can learn better or certainly differently online. Yeah, and I, in terms of higher ed and in my position specifically, we, we do a lot of work with, you know, the concept is the people should be getting a very similar experience to face-to-face. -face. Like, in other words, if you have this really cool interactive face-to-face -face course where you do all this group work and all that kind of stuff, if you put it online and you're just saying, read this chapter and take a test, that's not the same experience, so that's not good enough. Um, I don't know that it means that these things need to be the same or better or not, but I just think, like, from our perspective, we're trying to make sure that we're not losing things when we go online, that we're using the tools and resources online to help you know, simulate or, or, or create a similar experience. That's really interesting in higher ed that that's the goal because I, I would just really question that of how do you make that the same or similar? And I guess, is should that be the goal? Yeah, I mean, well, at the end of the day, you know, from the powers that be and in, in even the state and things like that, it, it sort of is a deal of like contact hours. There's a big thing about contact hours in higher ed and how many, how many hours these students are engaging in this course. So, you know, you have to sort of make sure you're developing things that account for, like if somebody's in a class three hours, well, how are you accounting for that? Um, it's, it's more of a, 
um, you know, for certification and for legitimizing so that we're not just making things easier for online students in those ways. I think there's been, you know, if we're being honest in general with education, I feel like online has become the easy way out for, I know in K-12 it was that way. You know, we give them easier courses online in hopes that they can just take that on their own and finish rather than, you know, really sticking it out in in, in class environment. So I think there's just a lot of really deep-seated issues with online, the way that it's been done over the years in general. And I, and I think that debate, like I, like you're saying, is is an interesting one. Like, it's what what is the goal of an online classroom? Is it to be completely different? Is it supposed to be mirroring it and being as close to the same as possible? And I think between K-12 and higher ed, you have different maybe goals in that as well. Because, you know, in K-12, it's sort of these kids are supposed to be getting this education because it's their right. And in higher ed, it's like you're paying for this. So how are we making the experience the same for everyone who's doing it? You know, that is interesting to think about the differences between K-12 and higher ed. You know, I started to see more K-12, you know, whether it's a charter school or you know, shift to no longer seat time for credit, but having to do with, you know, competency. So if you can pass the test, should you get credit for the class? Do you really have to put in your seat time to get the credit? But you're right. I don't think the higher ed world is working like that. And there are so many requirements, you know, for admission to higher ed that I'm wondering if we'll start to see some changes or alignment um, between the two. Yeah, I mean that's that's there's a lot of good points about that, and I and I just it's really difficult. And I I will also say that this is my feelings, and you know it's not any university policies that I've been told, but this is sort of the way it feels. You know how we're trying to make sure that it's the same experience overall, and I you know it, it is a, it's a difficult debate to have because, like you said, you know they're different things. Face-to-face is not the same. That personal touch changes things when you're able to communicate and really build that relationship. And so when we're putting courses online, one of the things that we just try to do is make sure that's in the course as much as possible. Let's make sure there's as much engagement and connection as we can possibly put in there. And uh, it's not always easy. That's for sure. That was a good little debate we had right there over that. I, Very I know. similar to the article, huh? Right? So that's basically, I guess that can just turn into the featured segment for today since we kind of talked about that for a little <laughs> while. But I, I do think that that's something that's on a lot of minds of people who would be listening to this show. I mean, if you're an educator and you use ed tech, um, you may be seeing a push to try to get stuff online, whether it's in K-12 or whether it's higher ed, of course. And so, you know, we do need to make sure that the university or the college or anything else that, you know, even if it's just your individual college within the university is thinking about these things and and what is the goal and why are we doing it? And I know there's a lot of bigger issues, including, you know, making sure that we are certified and making sure that we're getting all those things done for our courses and making sure that we have all that taken care of. But it definitely is something to discuss, especially with your instructional technology or your uh, teaching and learning departments to make sure that we're tackling this from the right perspective. All right, guys. Well, since that was our featured segment, basically, let's go ahead and just remind you, email the show if you want to get involved, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Um, if you want to enter the contest by emailing and just giving us a shout out there as well, we would like you to go to iTunes and do some uh, reviews because that does help us reach more people. And, of course, the subreddit um, s- it's edtechweekly.reddit.com. I'm just going to keep saying it that way. If you're a Redditor, then you know the right way and how to get there. But that's the easy way to get there. 
And, um, you know, I did want to just give an update. Um, my, my buddy Matt, who most of you who have listened to the show for a while will remember, even though he's not been on in a while, he is our tech behind the scenes, dark web type of a guru. He knows what's going on on the internets, if I may call them the internets and the interwebsers. <laughs> um, anyway, there's a little bit of a hack update. Now, <laughs> believe it or not, those who have been dealing with, um, let me, I just want to get his text. Oh man. Um, is it Equifax that's had the issue? What, what is that? Is that the oh, company yeah. that had the issues lately? Yeah. So if, yeah. if you go to their sites, there has also been a very recent thing where it will redirect you to a update for like Java script or something. And it, that is a that is a a scam, and it is it is malware trying to get on your computer. So I feel bad because we just talked about how you know just make sure you go out if you get an inf- and then go to the actual website. But apparently these people are not doing the internet so well. So I would just stay away from that site completely. Uh, do everything that you can to protect your information. Um, which would include changing your passwords, especially to bank and credit card accounts, um, and checking to see uh, if you have any unusual uh, hits on your credit. Uh, go to another credit report site and maybe and, and check that out. But yeah, they're, they have some serious issues there, and I, I would just stay away from that site for now. Wow, that, yeah, I don't know. Super dis- How you stay super- safe with that? It seems like whatever you click on, there's trouble. Yeah, it's super disturbing when a organization like that is not handling your data, and they—I mean—they just have crazy amounts of very personal data that's ties to a lot of things that people can use to steal your identity, and somehow they just can't get their security right. It's really, really obnoxious, if you ask me. But at the end of the day. Um, as listen, I'll, I'll I'll paraphrase Matt here as he texted me. He said, "You stink at the internet and control financial data, highly sensitive financial data. Yeah, good times. So, essentially, uh, he is not happy, and I don't think any of us should be. But yeah, when it comes to there's an article on Ars Technica about that. I'll post that as well on our weekly show notes." so that you guys can check that out. But just stay away from Equifax at this point. There's really no need to go there. Uh, I think we mentioned it, maybe not, but basically even before when you would put your data in there to see if you were hacked, it was apparently just a random outputted algorithm. People would go in and do it again and say they weren't, and people would go and do it again and say they were affected. So it's just all sorts of a mess over there. So stay away from it if you're concerned about that. Change your passwords. You know, Try to monitor your credit activity as well as you can with staying away from Equifax. Good tips. I know it's ed tech, but it just makes me crazy. The more scams and the more ways that there people are able to get into your system. I just had an Apple uh, email from Apple supposedly about one of my iTunes accounts and saying that it was hacked and click here and it looked very official and Apple, except for the fact that that email I don't have as an Apple account. And I looked at the uh, phrasing in there, and you know there were grammatical errors, which is not very Apple-like. That's somebody pretending who doesn't know the language very well. So we just always have to be on guard. Uh, At the end of the day, people are out there trying to fish and find ways to get to your information. So just be very careful. That's all we can say about that. Stay safe out there, everyone. That's right. And we appreciate you joining us on the show, and we will see you next time on EdTech Weekly.